Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is where we have conversations with guests about life, loss, grief, and grief dreams, which can be dreams of your loved ones that have passed away. So if you want to know more about the topic, you can definitely check out our website, griefdreams.ca, for more information. And here are four ways you can help support the podcast and help us spread awareness on this amazing topic. So number one, subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform that you listen to it on. Number two, become a member of the podcast, and that's for as low as $1.50 a month. This helps us run the podcast, and you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. Number three, you can take the Grief Dreams online course by Dr. Joshua Black at griefdreams.ca. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Facebook at Grief Dreams. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Happy to be here. Happy to be podcasting. And yeah, thanks for listening. On today's episode, we have with us Kalsuma Ali, and she is a British Bangladeshi podcaster. She is the host of Bereavement Room, a British-born podcast about life, death, grief, and identity from the perspective of Black and Brown voices across the diaspora. The podcast was launched in November 2019 following poor experiences Kalsuma went through when accessing bereavement support and therapy. The discrimination experienced when speaking about her Muslim experience of bereavement and grief. Bereavement Room dissects a narrative that isn't the norm in mainstream grief spaces or spoken about often. It has since garnered a worldwide listen with over 8,000 downloads. Kalsuma, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sean. Hey, Dr. Joshua Black. Thank you for having me. Yeah, as we were talking prior, we just love having other podcasters who are in a space of grief. And I think it's just great to sh- shine a light on what everyone's doing. And everyone has a different unique flair to why they're doing what they're doing. And so I'm really curious to get to know your perspective and why and what you saw as you're going through your grief journey, just because it seems like it's a very unique perspective from just from me. And so could you go through maybe like who died and, and what that relationship was like? Yeah, sure. So my mum died in 2010 and then my younger brother died in January 2018. And it was after my brother's death that I kind of launched my podcast. The relationship that I had with my mum for the 26 years that I did have her in my life was a little bit complex. My mum wasn't very present in the early part of my life because my younger brother had disabilities and he needed 24-hour care. So when he was born, her focus sort of shifted a little bit, I guess. And the dynamics and things in the family changed at that time. Like my dad had taken early retirement. So my mum was not the person that you would see at the school gate. She was not the person that spent the most time with me because understandably she was with my brother. And so the roles kind of shifted and my dad kind of took on most of bringing me up um, throughout my life. So the relationship with my mum, you know, there's a lot of love there, but it wasn't so emotional. And I just, I when I look back on that, I think it's probably 
because um, she just wasn't very present in my childhood because she had other things going on. So, yeah, I mean, as we got older, we managed to form a much closer relationship because the relationship you have with your parents, it does evolve over time. You know, how you know your parents as a child is very different to how you know them as a teenager and a young adult. But I I guess by the time we had formed a, rela- a relationship, it was too late because, you know, she was dying. She had cancer and she died within a six-week window. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I can't sit here and say that, like, my mum was my best friend and she was like, you know, she was an awesome person. She had a great sense of humour and people gravitated towards her. She was like a host and everything. But I I was a lot closer to my dad. And even saying that out loud makes me feel really bad. But I just had a closer relationship to my dad because he was a lot more present in my life in comparison to my mum. It's good to hear that because I also have had a, let's say, complicated relationship with my parents. And I think that is more common than I think we think. But I think saying it out loud sometimes makes you feel a little bit, like you said, maybe like a bad person. I don't know. (laughs) What do you think about that? Like, how is it saying it out loud and experiencing that? I guess it's a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know if it's bad Mm. or an uncomfortable feeling. But, you know, you hear people talk about their mums and you, when people ask you that question, what was your relationship like with your mum? I... I find it really hard to go, you know, to describe that relationship as, you know, it was this perfect, amazing mother-daughter relationship because it isn't. And I don't think anyone's relationship with their parents are perfect. I don't think there is a perfect mother-daughter relationship. It's just that I'm very conscious of the fact that my mum wasn't as present in my life as it is for uh, for some of my friends, for example, mm-hmm. or my cousins, or my sisters even. You know, my mum was very present in my sister's life and my older brother's life, but it just it's just the timing of life and what happened and circumstances that she couldn't give me the same attention. And so I probably don't like that. I wish she had more time for me yeah. when, I, when I was a kid, and maybe that's why it's uncomfortable to say out loud. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally feel that. It can be a little bit difficult growing up in a situation like that and with with my mom it uh she worked a lot so there wasn't as much interaction as i uh would have liked is it nice knowing because you did say that you guys had a chance had some moments had an opportunity to kind of build on top of that relationship the older you got was that something you really appreciate and look back on now Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it was around about my early mid-ish 20s, I think. Yeah, we, we had some time then together. You know, I've got lots of memories of us being in the garden, like you mentioned earlier, gardening and stuff. My parents were keen gardeners. We had a huge garden in the back garden. They used to grow their own food. So, you know, I have memories of gardening with them and water fights and I'd go traveling a lot when I was in my early 20s. And so my mom would always give me a little shopping list of things that she wanted. And we'd sit and chat. And yeah, I do have, I have a wealth of memories to look back on. But I guess it's, it wasn't your traditional mother-daughter relationship that you hear about in the mainstream or in, in the media. But yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm really grateful for the time that I did have. But it it 
I have to be honest, it got cut off just as yeah. it was forming into something really special. Yeah, that's very similar to what I had with my father. Like we had a very strained relationship probably until the last year and a half before he died. And then he started treating me more like a friend and wanted to get to know me a little bit more. And we had like actually moments I look back on that were just fun. They're just fun times. He wasn't trying to tell me how to live my life or live in the world and protect me, I guess. It's hard because when you look at that, you're like, wow, like even a couple more years, it just would have built so many more memories and a stronger bond. So yeah, I can feel that from you. It's sad that you didn't get that much more time to have those moments with her. And I'm curious about your brother. Like, what was your relationship with him like? You mentioned he had disabilities, but you know, what was that like? Yeah, so my brother was born with autism. He was nonverbal. He didn't have any mental capacity. He had like Downs. I was very close to him. We all were. He was the baby of the family. Although he was my brother, I sometimes like to describe him as my child because anyone that's listening that grew up with a with a sibling that was disabled or had no mental capacity or disabilities or autism, whatever it may be, will know that it is like having your own child also because you're taking on a lot of caring responsibilities. And so I was a young carer for a very long time. We all were. And we we took part in look-aftering him because he needed a lot of care and it was something that my parents were really new to it was shocking you know my mum when she gave birth to him that's when she found out that he had his disabilities it's not something they told her while she was pregnant because back in those days I don't think they had the technology to kind of detect that so you know growing up with him was it was interesting just kind of how people treat you when they see you on the streets like they just kind of stare at you because they can visibly see that he is different you can tell from his face that he has disabilities he doesn't speak he needs a lot of care he didn't go to a normal school like I did or any of my other siblings he went to a special school for kids with disabilities and Yeah, growing up with him was always fun, to be honest. I don't really remember it being hard or anything like that. It's only now when I reflect back on it since podcasting and talking about grief that I realise how difficult it must have been for my parents. And there are certain points in my life as I grew older as a teenager, making difficult decisions around his care and what that looks like and kind of what is best for his needs. There are there are various points where I remember it was quite hard because my parents were aging and my brother's getting older. And as he ages, he needs more care, you know, because he's not a baby anymore. It's different when you've got a child with a disability as a baby. You know, you're just pushing them around in the pram or whatever and carrying them. But as someone gets older and stronger, care starts to look different. So, yeah, with my brother, like he's just. He's just my younger brother, really. We loved and adored him. He was spoiled. And I feel like he lived a better life than I did socially, for sure. He did so much. Like, he went on holidays and traveled a lot and lots of day outs and had lots of friends and definitely got a lot more gifts than I did growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he was cute. He was just such a cute, adorable child. And I have millions of photos of him thankfully and dotted around everywhere in my apartment and 
he was just he was just the baby of the family you know just our special baby that we look after and loved and were always really concerned about because he was vulnerable he was like a vulnerable member of society because he you know he he couldn't speak he couldn't do anything for himself that was heartbreaking for my mom and I think it it definitely had an impact on her mental health I think for a very long time which went undiagnosed but yeah my brother was like I I don't really know how else to describe him other than he was the baby of the family that everyone loved and was very spoiled and yeah I've got loads of great memories with him like Christmas parties birthdays running around yeah it's just it's it's kind of I guess you have to have a a brother or know someone with disabilities I don't know if you do but it's hard to explain that relationship to people and I often avoid it if I'm honest it's easier because I feel like I'm always over explaining yeah my uh, my cousin has some disabilities and I know how tough it can be mostly because of the stigma and I guess the added pressure um, that society puts on a lot of caregivers because and again, like my aunt and uncle and, and my fam, like my cousin, my aunt and uncle and their whole family, like they, there's a lot of caregiving involved and they can definitely probably like going different places, probably have had happen what happened to you guys where people are looking and they don't really know what's going on and they, they kind of spend a little time, you know, just focused on that. But if I think if society was built a little bit differently and we were all a little bit more knowledgeable, I think it would be a little bit less stressful. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that people are very informed of these things and there is a lot of stigma attached, as you said. It's really hard, I think, having a child with disabilities and a sibling that needs a lot of care. It's really hard. I can't even explain what that is like I sometimes can't put it into words but he was very loved and I'm sad that he died because he died at age 30 and you know there's conversations that need to be had about care homes and caring and stuff like that and just the wider society and how we treat our vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Did he live with the family for the whole 30 years or was he put into or placed into a, a care home or a group home? He lived with us up until he was in his early 20s I think 2021 and then the latter half he was for 10 years in a care home. Right after your mom died that he was placed in the home? No my mom was still alive. Oh she's still alive. Yeah she was still alive so it was before 2010 because my mom died in 2010 it was maybe about three years before she died And it was a difficult decision and it's one that my sister really wanted for my parents because it was getting too much. He was was getting older and stronger and his caring needs were changing. It was getting too much for my parents' mental health. They needed some respite. And there were just conversations had about, you know, does he stay with the family, another, uh, you know, one of us? Do we just become a carer full time? you know, sacrificing our careers, giving up our jobs to just take, because he did need 24-7 care. It's not like you could put him in a self-catered home where he can look after himself. He couldn't do anything for himself. And so, yeah, my mum was very much alive at that point. I think it was three years before she died, before we made that decision for him to go into a care home. And that was, you know, I remember that day when he left very clearly. It was the hardest decision, I think, for my parents. 
to make. And it was a really emotional decision as well to decide that, you know, a care home would probably be better for his needs going forwards. Yeah, it's it's so tough. And you just, you know, you, you just don't want the individual to feel like it's against them in some way. You know, you want them to sort of still feel loved in the process. And it's difficult. It really, you know, sort of plays on your emotions. And and so did you get a chance as you sort of move through, I'm guessing you had a lot of opportunities to still visit and hang out with each other um, as you move forward. And so I'm curious, just, you know, just out of my own understanding, because like when I look at research with individuals with disabilities and grief, it's very disenfranchised and not a lot out there. So I was wondering if you just shed some light before we talk about your grief and what you went through about your brothers and how that was to explain it to him and then also his reactions. My brother didn't have any mental capacity, so we could tell him that, but he wouldn't have a response. He, you know, he'd just move on to something else, like his music or, you know, going to, you know, we could tell him, but he didn't, he didn't have a reaction. He, he didn't understand anything because he didn't have any mental capacity. And so, you know, you can explain anything to him and he wouldn't understand anything. So, yeah, I he didn't have a reaction but it wouldn't matter what you did tell him he wouldn't have a reaction about anything because his attention would be whatever he's doing so he'd put the music on or he'd want to get away from you or he just want to be left alone um so he didn't understand death or the permanence of death he didn't understand right or wrong or um like he, he just he didn't yeah he had no understanding of anything like how we do about life he didn't have any understanding of that he was like a baby he had the mental capacity of a baby is mm. probably best mm. to describe it um so trying to explain to him that my mum had died whether that whether he digested that or understood that he may have understood it through presence and seeing because he would have eventually realized that she'd stopped visiting him mm. and he wouldn't be able to verbalize oh, where's mum? I haven't seen her. Uh, he maybe would verbalise it in tears or challenging behaviour or something like that. But my brother was someone that had poor mental health anyway and would have quite a few tears. So you wouldn't necessarily know if it was related to my mum or if because he couldn't have his radio or his stereo system for the evening. <laughs> um, so it's quite, it's really quite difficult to explain because he didn't have any mental capacity. You could tell him anything and you don't really know if he understands you. Yeah, that's a, that's a challenge in offering grief support. You just don't know what they're feeling, what they're actually thinking about. And so like how much of it is, is causing the behavior and whatnot and how to support mm -hmm. them moving forward very very interesting no i just really want i was curious about that and so looking at your i know you're saying after your mom lost your mom died you didn't get support but it was after your brother died you got support is that true yeah sorry can i just go back to what you said about support for children with disabilities mm -hmm. actually creative play is what works for children with multiple disabilities or just children in general and he did have a lot of creative play it was part of his schedule everyday schedule because it, it helps them in terms of therapy so you know how we have one-on-one -on -one talking with a counsellor for kids and kids with disabilities it is continuous creative play 
whatever that may look like, whether it's painting or respite or holidays or, you know, playing games. So grief, that's what grief support should technically look like for anyone with disabilities or lack of mental capacity or a child that doesn't understand the permanence of death. Uh, I just wanted to make that a point. I think that's really important because that does exist. It's just seeking it out and finding it. And it, it might not be common, but it is out there. That's interesting and, and great to know as well. Kind of like, I guess, would be similar to children in a way, just trying to allow them more ways to express themselves, I guess, rather mm. than the, the, in the norm, talk and answer, talk and answer. Be, yeah. Because not speak, everyone can talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people, people can express themselves in beautiful ways and art and, you know, music and all these different ways that we yeah. can communicate. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great thing to know. Yeah, and music for him was his life. And music was his way of expression. And, and, I, and that's the thing. We all have different learning styles and different needs. And yeah. so it's really important to adapt to that. Yeah, I've heard of uh, uh, different types of therapy with people who have, forms of Alzheimer's who then they play music mm. from the era that they grew up in and they, just, they respond a little bit differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Dementia and Alzheimer's very common. I used to play music for my dad from his era because my dad got dementia later in oh. his life. Yeah. So sorry, I kind of skipped through the question you asked earlier. You wanted to know about therapy. So yeah, after your brother died, that's when you sort of had the yeah, the need to go see therapy, but you also sort of found the discrimination that uh, mm. you experienced. And I just want to know more about that. So like, it's not something that I've come into contact myself with. And it'd be nice to know more about what you've dealt with. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't new to therapy after my dad's death. Uh, sorry, my brother's death. Gosh, I can't keep count because so many people have died. I... <sighs> I had two sessions of therapy after my mum died on the NHS and it didn't go well, which is something I talked about on my podcast and I just sacked it off. I was like, forget it. I'm not going to do this because they just allocate you a therapist. And I got an Italian therapist and I was lost in translation with her. So I was like, I can't do this. So I spent most of my life just traveling and that's how I healed you know, with my mum's loss. That's kind of how I processed it. But with my brother, the discrimination you know, with my brother's death, it was really, really hard for me. I I think I was someone that was, you know, in comparison to my mum's death, I think I dealt with that in such a way that I found something that worked for me. But with my brother, I couldn't, there was just, you know, there was nothing. I really struggled. And I was like, right, I need to speak to a professional about what's happened. Because I never really spoke to a professional about my mum's death because it didn't quite work out at the time and I thought maybe now's the time to get proper therapy and when I did get when I did get therapy it was through an employee assistance program so it was via work it's one of these contracts that your employers get where you get six or 12 sessions to to speak to a therapist they just allocate you by postcode that's how they do it by distance of where you live and so I got allocated this therapist and During that time, I was also going through a transition because I'd worked in tech, like MarTech and technology for 10 years. And after my brother's death, I just felt very differently about society and just things that were going on and injustices. And it just brought up so much stuff also in relation to my mum's death that I think 
it's hard looking back because my mum died 10 years ago and so I have a bit of memory loss but it just brought up so much stuff and I didn't feel comfortable I didn't feel well in myself and so I saw this therapist but she just she couldn't address the bereavement it was it's like we could talk about everything else but she couldn't address bereavement and she couldn't address racism and I I really like I don't think it was her field of expertise. She would almost avoid it or say nothing. She wouldn't try to encourage me to talk about it. And I would say that I'm an open book. I don't find it hard to not talk. I, you know, I'm happy to answer questions. But she just, she couldn't, she could not address the issues. And when I talked about racism, she would gaslight it as me getting too involved in the cause and the cause hindering me and that it was like all in my head and and, anyway I got to the end of the 12 sessions with her and bearing in mind she's not young she is a much older woman right and so she's definitely not what you would want out of a therapist (laughs) no no and I mean she did address some family systemic issues, like one or two things, but bereavement, I don't think that was her field of expertise, perhaps. And racism was just, you know, she just, she didn't want to address that. As far as she was concerned, she didn't really see it as an issue that I was being too bogged down by identity and, you know, how this affects me in my daily life. Anyway, I got to the end of the 12 sessions because I was desperate. I needed to speak to someone. And therapy isn't cheap. Me getting it through work was a bit of a blessing but also a curse because she was no good at her job. So <laughs> I I then, because I was going through a transition, I was I reached out to a major bereavement charity in the UK, right? And they deal with everyone in the UK. It's volunteer-led and they get a lot of funding. I then at that point had enrolled on my foundation counselling skills course at a really good school and I was volunteering on a helpline uh I just wanted to do something different you know I wanted a break from the corporate world and yeah I went to this bereavement charity and we were talking about death from the perspective of different cultures uh when it was my turn to speak because when you go to these sessions you do need to share a bit about yourself and why you're there so when it was my turn to speak I spoke about my brother and my Muslim experience and yeah, it didn't go down too well in the room. It was like I was the alien in the room because what I had to say about Muslim funerals and how they work, you know, Muslim funerals are very quick. They're usually between 24 and 48 hours. There's not really a chapel of rest, you know, I'm not going back and forth to the chapel of rest um, where I'm from. And they're very, very quick. There's, you know, the ritual that you have to take part in as well, like the washing of the body and the clothing and stuff like that. When I had to explain these things to the people in the room, they didn't get it because I don't think they'd heard that experience before. It also came with a bit of gender judgment that, oh, that's just how it is. That's what Muslims are like. You know, they're very oppressive towards women, which isn't true at all. They just, they'd never heard my experience before. And yeah, it came across really judgmental. And some of the comments that came across from the other volunteers, bearing in mind, everyone else in the room is Caucasian, because that's just how it works in UK charities. It is very white. I'm sorry to say it. Well, I'm not sorry. That's just the truth. It was 
hard for me in that moment because I was going through like a therapeutic point in my life where I was processing and dealing with the death of my brother and what I needed in the room was someone to witness my experience and to see me and I wasn't seen everyone just was staring at me in silence in utter shock as I told them that I wasn't you know I kind of had to fight to be present at my brother's burial Mm -hmm. and the you know, that it was very, very quick and I didn't have a lot of time. They, you know, there's a way to ask questions, be curious, not judgmental. And yeah, I just felt like, I felt like the other, you know, when someone others you, I just, I just thought to myself, oh my God, I'm being othered. Why are they othering me? This is a bereavement charity. Surely they've heard this experience. They've heard lots of different experiences from Muslim families, Jewish families, Hindu families, whatever, right? They must have heard these experiences before, but they hadn't. And I I was just like, well, this ain't right. Anyway, I carried on with my training with them and I decided to create like a death cafe for, I think what you call it is the BIPOC community. We call it the BAME community. But at that time, I created this Deaf Cafe BAME and they were against it. They thought I was excluding. They were like, you can't exclude people. I was like, the reason I'm creating it is because there isn't anything for people like me or anyone else from a minoritized community. You're excluding me. I'm not excluding you. They just didn't get it. And I... I just felt really lonely. I can't even tell you. I felt I was grieving. and I just felt really depressed. I thought, oh, this is utter nonsense. And yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what happened really yeah. with therapy. Wow. That's, uh, it's, yeah. And hearing that, like, that's the purpose of going to one of those groups is to feel safe, is to feel like you're being heard and you felt the opposite. And essentially you didn't feel like they had, carved out a space for you is that that's correct yeah all I really wanted yeah yeah I just wanted them to see me and witness me they witnessed each other's experiences but that's because they're all from the same community and they Mm. do things the same but I had something different to to say and I just wanted someone to show me some love in that moment and see me and I wasn't seen I was the alien yeah, that's uh, that's honestly that's super unfortunate to hear, especially in like a a charity and or organization that's supposed to be reflective of the country. It should also be reflective of the people of that country, and also like you know the administrators and stuff. Like they really need to be knowledgeable and and accepting and say, yeah, there are people of different colors, there are people of different genders and groups, and we want to make the effort to know all these groups and you know that we could talk all, all day about <laughs> the types of changes that need to take place in some of these groups but yeah that's uh that's unfortunate and it's tough to hear that someone who wanted to feel heard and wanted their uh wanted to share in their grief and to 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 be in a group didn't feel like that no they minoritize me as if i'm not minoritized enough and right. when i'm coming and talking about deaf hello you know this is the fact of life you're minoritizing me even more so yeah it was unfortunate and very depressing but something good came out of it so you know change is something that in this field that we've realized is needed and you know why why our podcast is is started uh why why we love having someone like you on 
to share the voice of different people who feel disenfranchised. Like, you know, we like to talk about pet loss. We like to talk about different types of dif- uh, disenfranchised grief. We've even, do you remember, Joshua, we had on a person who was trying to find was trying to find support in a group, but they found that it was, it was more towards parents who had lost children and that was a sibling. So he didn't feel comfortable even in that group because he had lost his sibling and the group was, I guess, full of people, parents who had lost children. And it's just like, it's just tough because it's like, I don't know how that even happens. (laughs) I really don't. Yeah. The thing is, bereavement is bereavement, right? But I mean, sibling loss is something that's not talked about often, I don't think, in these spaces, in the way other bereavements are. And that's really sad that that happened. And now I can see why people are now creating specific groups, like you've got groups for suicide, you've got, you know, meetups for sibling loss, you've got, you know, groups for cancer. But because I think these situations do occur and they're actually quite common. And and now people are doing, you know, they're separating out types of losses or, you know, who it is that died because yeah, you will, you know, if you're, you're the only one in the room talking about your sibling and everyone else is talking about their child, there's going to be a lot of projection going on and a lot of opinions. And as human beings, we love to project. And uh, that doesn't surprise me hearing that from you, to be honest, that that has happened to someone. it's sad it shouldn't happen but you're also now seeing that groups are being set up specifically for specific things because of that yeah just the more we talk about it the more people can actually start understanding on how important it is and the same thing with podcasts you know is this why you started your podcast yeah so as i said it was a deaf cafe to begin with so i would like host it do you know what deaf cafe is yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, we definitely do. <laughs> yeah, of course, because they started in the States. So I think they started in the States. As, I mean, that's how I found it to begin with. And that's why I created it. But it, it, was a, it was a deaf cafe to begin with. But it was getting logistically a bit hard to manage with a full-time job. And I wanted to reach as many people as possible. And me being a techie kind of person, you know, a MarTech type person, I thought, well, I may as well just use my skill set and create a podcast because that way I can reach everyone in the UK I can speak to more people and perhaps it could expand to other parts of the world and it would be easier for me to manage to do something like that and yeah it just evolved from that horrible experience I had with a bereavement charity it went from a deaf cafe to then bereavement room podcast and I guess the rest is history. It's been a bit of a well, a bit of a whirlwind, if I'm honest. Oh, that's wonderful. And you know what? If the door closes, then you create your own door. And uh, you know, I think that's wonderful. I think uh, the idea of a death cafe. And uh, side note, we actually have another podcast called Grief Cafe, where we where we like to talk about issues of grief. But it's a phenomenal idea because, again, this is these are spaces where we all need to learn all of us need to learn about other people's griefs because grief because it's so different and you run into situations where you want to have the space and compassion for people who have faced loss of no matter of any kind Mm. and in modern society you often have these situations i mean Mm. uh just personal example we had a 
someone that I, I know had had a loss of a child before the child was born. It was an early uh, death. And, you know, it just someone else had made a comment and just wasn't sure about how that person had expressed it and had negative sentiments towards that person expressing it. And I thought that wasn't that was a, a perfect example of disenfranchising grief. Like, you know, someone's loss is someone's loss and we really shouldn't put these things into boxes. And if that person wants to express grief and their feelings towards this, and if they want to bereave and, and grieve it, then then allow them that space rather mm. than shut the door. And there's all, mm. there's all these situations that happen all the time in our normal day in society whether it's at the workplace or whether it's your neighbors or whether it's people with pets or whatever the situation may be, or, you know, someone has a, a grandparent die and the grandparent was 90 and people can say things like, well, you know, they lived a great life. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. uh, you don't have to say that, but you should give that person space and say, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry about your loss because the pain is real for them and the pain is there and allow them, right? There's all these platitudes that we like to, to and I'm guilty of them at, just like everybody else. I've been doing this podcast for four years, five years now. I still feel like I mess up sometimes, but mm. I think it's the act of learning and mm. being ready and willing to learn Absolutely. and to move forward. And I'm curious actually of as as a South Asian woman who's Muslim, what are some areas that you feel could be improved when it comes down to, I guess, in Britain and the support that you've seen people get? What can be changed? Or Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, um, <laughs> where do I begin? Um, you talked about the workplace a little bit there. I think mm -hmm. the workplace has a lot, a lot of responsibility and account they need to start being more accountable and more compassionate towards their employees when it comes to grief and loss because I don't think the workplace is is literate in that I don't think it's in their vocabulary um when someone has died or whatever your loss might be the workplace doesn't accommodate it and I think it's worse for people that are from the black or brown community because of unconscious biases and certain like social situations that you have to navigate and kind of what your role is when you're when you're at work I actually do think it is worse if you're from a minoritized community trying to have that conversation that oh I've been bereaved or I'm going through a traumatic event in my life and I I think there needs to be legislation put in place whether that's statutory paid leave for everyone or I don't know some kind of mental health support not these EAP programs because I'm fed up of seeing those <laughs> uh, um, but you know just something in place you know just people being compassionate giving you time you know how kids get time out cards in school having time out cards you know flexible working working from home if you can um, you know, me, when my brother died, I got three days off work, right? And when I asked for flexible working, bearing in mind, this is the most traumatic thing that happened. But, you know, my brother being di diagnosed with leukemia and then just dying within a month. My manager was not very empathetic about it. She wasn't compassionate and she didn't understand my need to want to work from home because at the time I was working in a very busy, buzzy Marcom's office. Everyone knows your business. It's open plan. You know, it's very social environment. You have to kind of socialize. That's part of the role. 
and I just was not in socializing mood and what I wanted was to work from home and uh she didn't allow it and I and I think I've heard that story so many times both on my podcast and in other spaces where people are not getting the compassion or the leave or the flexibility they need at work and the only way to really change that is by putting legislation in place so that's that's one thing that I would for starters love to see we've got parental leave of two weeks which is paid for a parent that's been bereaved of a child but it's not enough it needs to be for everyone across the board not just parents so yeah legislation there's a couple of other things as well I mean as a South Asian woman you say South Asian I'm Bangladeshi just to be clear because I hate using that label South Asian it kind of box it boxes in everyone together and we're not the same and we don't all have the same we're not all sort of impacted the same by certain social issues um being a Bangladeshi Muslim woman I would like to see more spaces that are tailored to us to give us the support that we need because it's not it's not one shoe size fits all it's going to look different on on everyone essentially and I I just don't think those spaces have been held for me particularly when I speak about healthcare negligence for example because largely my bereavements are about the NHS and um, what's caused my grief is negligence and systemic racism people in the grief space as you said earlier it's social media and the workplace are two of the worst places to talk about grief I think because ever ever since I entered social media as wonderful as it has been and connected me to so many people I have been trolled I've been unfollowed I've had nasty messages because I've spoken out about healthcare negligence but that's what caused my grief and people don't want to hold space for that especially Mm. the British taxpayer because we we fund our healthcare and we assume or presume that it's ticking over when it's not people don't want to hear that so when they hear these horror stories or that our negligence bill is like 4.4 billion without going down this rabbit hole, um, people, they don't want to hear that in the in the online grief space, I find. You know, if I say, oh, I called my dad's phone, I still call my dad's phone, I miss my dad, or, you know, something along those lines. I'm not dismissing that or saying it's fluffy because that is the truth. But if I share more of that stuff and less of the systemic and injustice stuff, People engage more with, you know, my memories and me calling my dad's phone and, you know, me being reflective about some kind of memory to do with my dad or the food that he liked. But they don't want to know what caused his death. They don't Mm. want to talk about injustices. They they don't want to talk about social issues and inequalities. As soon as I start posting that on Instagram, oh, my God, the the, honestly, the (laughs) trolling that I get, it is just, you know, people don't want to hear that. They're not ready for it. They don't receive it well. You know what? Yeah. And well, any type of change in that way, away from the status quo is going to be met with some sort of resistance. So, you know, sometimes you just got to tune it out and just ignore it. But I I hear you. I think that uh, having a voice and a seat at the table in terms of being, and I'll correct myself, being a, a Bangladeshi woman, should you should be there. You know, the, the voice and the, the knowledge and the awareness. And if you live in that country and there are other people like you who live in that country you know you want to have a voice in terms of how the money is allocated in terms of some of these resources Mm, and yeah you're preaching to the choir when it comes to (laughs) 
uh, workplace changes because <laughs> I've, Josh is laughing because I've harped on this issue many times. You know, work is not separate from our life. It's a part of it. And a lot of times we see people at work more than we see our loved mm-hmm. ones outside of work. So why shouldn't workplaces have more compassionate programs uh, for wellness, for uh, taking care of their employees? And it's your case uh, with your manager who did that. That's a very common thing. And it's, it's so sad that people can't be see others as people and see that people need time. And I don't, I don't think, especially in your field, it sounds like you could have worked from home. Oh, <laughs> so easily. Like, Quite yeah, easily. Right. And it's, it's unfortunate that we can't make those connections and understand that, you know, if you treat your employees, if you, if you have a more of a program uh, that is uh, designed to give people the time off they need, then that's better for society at large. And you're right. We, there might, might need uh, to be legislation put in place uh, for those type of programs. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I can see things are shifting and they are are changing and the conversation is changing. But it's the resistance, you know, at the end of the day, the United Kingdom is built on migration. He rebuilt this country. It was black and brown people. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't really understand why I get treated the way that I do when I enter these spaces. But, you know, it is what it is. And, well, you know, what can I do? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think what you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and that is pushing for change and being uh, part of the younger generation that's that's kind of resistance that's always met uh, i think i think it takes time and and especially in the industry in the field that we're looking at it's um sometimes there's a lot of gatekeepers that are uh older and it takes uh someone raising the alarm and putting their hand up and saying like hey like here's an area that we need to expand to. Here are topics that we need to cover because we're not doing a service to our communities. We're not doing a service to the people who live next to us, our neighborhoods, and what we're supposed to be. Just like your experience going into that uh, for charity service, uh, the bereavement group, like they should know who the community is and try to organize their program accordingly. Mm. Mm. And and the thing about that is those charities do do good work. I'm not I'm not uh, disputing that. It's just sometimes it comes down to recruitment hire and individuals that are in the room. Um, so, so it can be a bit of an unfair reflection on the entire charity when it's just individuals that aren't clued up or informed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. what makes it what makes it hurt that much more is that it happened to you, and uh, you know that's it, it. It really soured the taste. Oh, yeah, for sure. It definitely left a a real sour taste in my mouth. But, you know, I'm thriving with Bereavement Room and they can see that. And I had the last laugh. Exactly. And something good came out of it and and more. And now the again, the awareness and and I again, all the success to your podcast. And I hope that you can spread awareness on the issues that are important. Yeah, for sure. I hope so. I want to reach as many people as possible, like the BR family, I like to call it. I never thought I'd get to three seasons. And, you know, I'm in three seasons now. It's been a roller coaster of a journey, especially because my dad died halfway through season one. But yeah, I've met some amazing people through podcasting. It's afforded me a lot of opportunities for connections. And also just reflecting on my own experiences at par- over the past ten years. No, I'm really happy that you're you're in that space and you're you're finding a way to 
allow other people to find you too. It's it's could say like it is hard sometimes to start a group or something within your local community, but a podcast it's just such a great way for people to find you all over the world, and you don't need to sort of have ads or like to be in a you know an organization like you can start it yourself and that's what you've done and i think it's beautiful that people are listening and you're making an impact in the world and teaching people from your own experience and providing a safer space and teaching people how to provide a safe space to ask those questions and i think that that's great i'm curious just because you've had so many people die have you ever had a dream of of any one of them Oh my gosh, so many. I've had loads of dreams about my mum and my dad. And interestingly, I had a dream. My dad was alive at that point. It was four weeks before he died. I had this dream that we were in our garden. And in our family house in the garden, there is a, a pavement in the middle that separates the earth that you can walk on. And they used to grow food on either side, so like vegetables and fruit. And in this dream, it was a really sunny day like it is today. And I could see both of my parents amongst all the herbs, like the coriander. It was very, very green. And my mum was saying something to me. She was really happy and she was trying to say something. And I can't, It's you know, it was a year ago now, so it's very vivid and it's quite vague but I always think about that dream because at the time it didn't occur to me that what my mum was saying which I think I can recollect is that it's time or your dad's joining me or something like that and I was on the earth side the muddy side right and I was trying to re like she was trying to reach out to me but I, I, I just couldn't and when I looked down all I could see was like the earth and the mud and when I looked at them they were like in the sunshine amongst the coriander and all the green herbs and yeah it was see the thing is when my mum comes to me in my dreams it's usually when I'm sad or she's trying to comfort me or I'm distressed and I can't remember what was happening four weeks before my dad died it was in the new year um, and it was a very comforting dream, but I didn't really realize until four weeks later that perhaps that dream was her telling me that your dad's going to die because my dad did die four weeks after that dream. And I, I feel like it's very symbolic, this dream, very symbolic to me. And it's something that I think about on and off a lot. And I, I wish I, was, I interpreted it at the time, but I, I don't really know if that would have made any difference. Um, I was just so happy to see my mum in my dreams because that's the only way that I can connect with her, right? And yeah, I have been reading about dream interpretations since that dream. There's a book by Ibn Sirin. He was a dream interpreter from the 8th century, I think. And yeah, I've been reading a lot about grief dreams and I've been listening to your podcast as well because it's something that I think about more so now that my dad has died, but I've just, I've always had these really strong dreams and yeah, I, it's something that I need to give more thought to and I've started reading about it, but that dream always comes back to me because it's very symbolic of the fact that it was four weeks before my dad died and my mum was trying to, she was telling me like it's time or something along those lines she was trying to reach out to me and yeah that was that was my probably my most memorable grief dream 
I like it too because it was gardening and you're just talking about how your mom always used to garden and that's something that you know you've developed a bond with and I think you mentioned even prior before the podcast that you garden yourself now and it's almost a way to you know almost like have a bond with your mom yeah I my parents loved gardening and yeah I think that I've morphed into my parents I've got plants spring onions and aubergines and everything growing now and I I understand my parents better now that they're dead. And I know that sounds a bit weird, but I've had a lot of reflection time, a lot of time to reflect since my mum's death, which was 10 years ago, and then my brother and, and my dad. And yeah, it does make me feel closer to my parents, but I, I see myself unintentionally morphing into my parents. It's really strange. And it's like everything, <laughs> it's like everything my mum said to me when I was young and naive is coming true. Because everything she said to me makes more sense to me now than it did at the time. And i that's really frustrating, but then also a gift, I guess. It's life, the circle of life, or however you want to put it. But, yeah, I am now a keen gardener. They would be so proud, and they wouldn't believe it. Honestly, an aubergine. They just, I would never have done that if they were alive. I would have been like, what? No. Why am I going to do that? <laughs> Aubergine is eggplant for us North American listeners. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, aubergine eggplant. Oh, that's I, all right. I, I call it aubergine, but I mean, some British people do call it eggplant. But anyway. I love I love the uh, different, when I talk to my cousin in Bristol, all the, the words she uses, motor, motorway. Yeah, motorway, yeah. Yeah, that's a highway here for us. Oh, so, yeah, really odd. Um, I'm like you. Yeah, I um. I've gravitated towards gardening in the last two or three years. And growing up, I saw my grandparents, they immigrated to Canada. And that was the first thing they did when they came to Canada was set up a garden in our backyard. And I, I have a lot of fond memories of that. And I think that's that's half the reason I do it now is is to connect me to my ancestors. It just feels natural. And I'm pretty good at it, got to say. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, uh, it's also it's such a peaceful, uh, I think, a peaceful hobby and a peaceful thing to do. And I'm really glad that you had a dream that was reflective of that. And especially with the imagery of being on the dark, in the dirt and kind of seeing them in the light and, and what you think might have been your mom uh, saying that her uh, that your dad was going to come uh, be with her soon. Which was uh, which is interesting. Yeah, for sure. That is it was such a strong dream. But I'm just curious to know because you are the doctor of grief dreams. Um, do you interpret dreams or? Well, you gotta know a lot about the individual to really. I, I I would say I help people understand their dreams, which is a little different because say like every everyone has their own unique symbols. A garden to you means something different than me because I don't garden <laughs> and, and nor do I want to learn right now. But for you, it's like you see a lot the the differences. And yeah, like I definitely it takes time to talk about it. But at the end of the day, it's just like for me, is it comforting for you? Are you having any distress? It doesn't seem like it. And then you're playing with the fact that, you know, she was giving you a heads up or you're having a dream where it was a heads up about the death of your father in the future. So it's kind of precog too. And that, you know, we've had people on the podcast talk about that and that just allows people to sit in the mystery of life and just try to understand that there is more to this life than we know. And as science gets better, maybe we can understand those a little bit more. But in the end, it's just like every religious culture has a different set of beliefs on how they see the dream. So I'm actually really curious 
have you talked to anyone in the Muslim community to sort of see if there are different ways they would interpret a dream of the deceased? I know some some cultures it's uh, it can be like a, a good omen, other ones it's like bad. Sometimes they don't believe it's the, the visitation, other times they do. And so curious your thoughts and have you approached anyone in your own community like that? I haven't approached a person per se. Um, I just got a book about the interpretation of dreams from like Islamic thought because, you know, I'm Muslim. And my understanding, you know, as a Muslim growing up is that dreams are a gift, particularly if you see your parents. But also, I think Islam also says in the Quran that dreams are also whatever you conjure up in your mind, you know, whatever you were thinking about an hour before you went to bed so it may not be real it's just the madness of the mind um but we believe that any dreams before sunrise is quite accurate uh but i haven't approached like a scholared person and i probably should uh i've just been started reading this interpretation dreams book since i had that dream four weeks before my dad died and i i would like to connect with more people about grief dreams whether they're from the Muslim community or not I'm just interested to know what all the different thought processes are and just yeah what you know I, I just want to know like the symbolism behind it and what people's belief systems are but no I haven't approached anyone specific yet hey well you should you should take my online course <laughs> I basically talk about grief dreams for nine hours um, but yeah, yeah oh. th- well, there's just so so much to go over, and the best way to I think even for people to understand grief dreams is to really just look at examples of dreams, and then also how it connected to waking life and to the individual, and hence kind of what the podcast is about too, which you probably understand as you've listened to, to the episodes, is you can really see where the individual's connection was to the and how their life story really fit into the design of that dream. And then your beliefs afterwards on how you see it is how you see it. But it's just amazing on like how so many aspects of your memories with that person uh, can really infiltrate that dream. That's why there's so much to talk about when it comes to grief in itself. Because just if we didn't chat and you, you just shared that dream, we could have talked about gardening and then, you know, what that meant and everything for like a good hour or two, just because it's a different side of grief that most people don't talk about. And so there's just so many different clues on what you're processing in many ways. And I'm guessing too, if you saw it as a visitation, I'm not sure if you did, I'm guessing that greenery and that flower, like everything growing could be a sign of something else too, right? Well, you're in the mud. <laughs> yeah, I was on the <laughs> earth side. Yeah. I, the way that I saw that is me on earth and they're in the Garden of Eden and it was a mm. visitation from my mother. But it's, it's just at the time it didn't... I was just so happy to see my mum that I didn't try to decipher it too much. It's only when I deciphered it after my dad's death. So, well, there's, yeah. There's so, there's so many different ways you can view a dream. You could sort of see it as like an art piece, a masterpiece, where you just view it and appreciate the moment. And then there's the other times where you can actually interpret some of the stuff and see how it connects to your waking life. And so there's like a lot of different ways, right? So it's just beautiful that you were able to have that moment and you could just see your mom and healthy and connecting with you which is something that you know said you longed for so at the end of the day i think it's a great experience i'm i'm happy you had it oh thank you yeah i'm happy i did too all right as we wrap up the podcast one of the last questions we'd like to ask is if you could have a dream tonight of anyone who died 
who would that be and what would that look like? Oh, probably my dad. Is it only one person that I can choose or? You can have anyone you want. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I would love to just see my my dad and my mum again. My younger brother, I don't have many grief dreams of him, to be honest. I think I've had one. He doesn't appear in my dreams for some odd reason. He doesn't appear in my siblings' dreams either. I think my brother-in-law had one dream about him that he was skiing. So, uh, so you know, I, I, I would love to see my parents again, but my younger brother, I don't know if I'll see him in my dreams. I won't hold out on that. And I, I don't know why that is because I just don't believe that I will. But... Yeah, I would like to see my parents and my brother again together, not separately, like all of us together. I I don't know what that would look like. I, you know, maybe it's a message. It could be similar to that dream that I had, you know, before my dad died. Just just them sending me a message or us, you know, reuniting, doing something together. I don't, I don't know what that would look like. I just... I'm happy as long as they enter my dreams because that's the only way that I can connect with them. So I, I don't have this detailed, like, this is what I want to see and this is what I want us to be doing. I'm just grateful that they appear in my dreams because I know so many people that, you know, they they really want to dream of their loved ones and they don't have those dreams. And like I said, with my younger brother, he's only appeared once so for me to kind of see him again and all of us together would be lo lovely. I would love to because it puts me in such a good mood. It helps my mental health and I, I just feel more reflective and I feel better. You know, it helps my grief and what that might look like in the dream, I don't know. I just know that I want to see them. That's beautiful. And that's that's exactly what we try to um, share with people is that these grief dreams can provide you with these beautiful benefits. And again, it's just an aspect of continuing bonds. That's that's just lovely. Pretty much you you you're open to like a garden thing. And you know what's interesting is I think you're you said something very, very interesting, which a lot of people have this feeling of, you know, the in this situation you're not you're not you don't want to ask any universal questions. You don't want any in-depth, uh, you know, conversation. It's more about the feeling of being in the presence of each other and what that can provide, which is beautiful. And I think that's that's a lasting uh, thing that can happen with with a lot of these grief dreams. So I really hope you get that. Oh, thank you very much. You know, life doesn't you know, it doesn't it doesn't end at death. Like love doesn't end at death. So yeah, uh, I hope I do. Who knows? Maybe I'll have a grief dream tonight. <laughs> It'd be interesting too if, if your brother would still have autism or not, because I know a lot of people who do have different uh, have had dreams, have had dreams where the disability is gone, and so it's just interesting. And it's a, it's a be a new memory of how you'd see that person. Yeah, that's why I'm a little bit jealous of my brother-in-law because he saw him skiing. He was going really fast and he was skiing, so he's, you know, my brother would never have been able to do that in this world. So if he's skiing in the next world and he's got all his limbs and everything that's amazing you know uh the the little dream that i had of him was very vague and very fleeting and i can't remember it um all too well but my brother-in-law had this very detailed dream of him which i'm very jealous of <laughs> where he's living his best life so yeah i you know i just i know that i believe in the afterlife and i hope that his life is very different to what it was on earth
Yeah, well, you have it in you, and hopefully uh, you can create that dream and and see him doing some amazing stunts. Maybe he'll be skiing and doing a triple axel or some sort of amazing stunt <laughs> in, in the dream. And, yeah, and, uh, I'd say. Skiing together. Kalsuma, this has been an enjoyable podcast, and thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, your story. And uh, just before we wrap up, where can people find your podcast and uh, anything else you want to share? Um, yeah, sure. So you can find Bereavement Room on any podcast application, whether that's Spotify or Apple, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen. We're also on social media. Uh, the handle is at Bereavement Room on Instagram and Twitter. All right. Thanks, everybody. That's the show. And we like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Thank you for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to know more about the topic, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. On there, you can take our two online courses. Number one is a Grief Dreams workshop by Dr. Joshua Black, which is designed to help you learn all about the topic. And number two is Crazy in Love Using Romantic Relationships as a Vehicle for Growth, which is designed to make you rethink modern intimate relationships. And that's by Dr. Joshua Black and Jade Carling Black. On the website, you can also book a one-on-one Grief Dreams consulting session with Dr. Black. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. And we have two clubs on Clubhouse that you can follow, Grief Dreams and Grief Cafe. If you have Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page to be notified of when we release new episodes. You can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group to share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. Once again, to help support the podcast, please subscribe and read the podcast on the platform you listen to it on. This helps our show come up when people search for Grief Dreams podcast. Also, you can become a member of the podcast through Patreon. We have three membership levels, $1.50 a month, $7 a month, and $20 a month. And again, this money helps us run the podcast. You can find the Patreon link in the show notes. We would like to thank all those who continue to support us. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can be comforted by your dreams tonight.